Thank you, Tom, for reading the Word of God for us this morning. Or, or Bob. <laughs> I'm glad the Lord reminded me of your correct name. <laughs> How could I so easily forget? I just met with you a couple of days ago, but <laughs> that's what happens when you get over 60. One of the, the other things that I forgot this morning was to remind you that um, we need to have an honorarium for our missionaries that are going to be speaking and, uh, this next weekend. And so there's a little pew envelope there in front of you in your pew. And uh, if you would like to participate in that, and I hope you would, because they, they're uh, donating, they're giving of their good time to minister to us. What you can do is just take that envelope, write a check, put it in the envelope, or put your cash in that envelope, and just make sure it gets turned in. Uh, I know that Les uh, would be happy to take your money and uh, put it in the church um, account to uh, cover that for them uh, this next weekend, or you can bring it with you next week. All right, so this morning we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. For those of you who are guests here, uh, we're in the midst of a series which we're calling Marks of a Healthy Church. And as I mentioned last week, each Sunday this fall, we've been taking one mark, one characteristic of a healthy church, and we've been doing Bible study on that each Sunday morning as we've gathered together. And so we've looked at several, and now we're coming to another one today, and it's the mark of compelling vision. Every church that is effective in their service for Christ has a clear purpose, a clear vision of what God wants them to be and what God wants them to do. This is a very important thought that we're going to be talking about this morning, because if we're not clear on what God wants us to be and do, then how can we do what God wants us to, to, to do and be what God wants us to be? It's, it's only logical. And every one of these marks that we've been talking about is important because it's vital to our spiritual health. God wants us to be healthy spiritually as individuals. He's the air we breathe. In fact, uh, one, one of the ways that I would probably rewrite that chorus if I could would be, you are the air I breathe. He, you, Lord, are the air I breathe. And go, so God wants us to be spiritually healthy as individuals and as a church family. That's why this this characteristic we're going to be talking about this morning is so important. It's important to our spiritual health. And one of the ways that I think I know that is John 15, verses 1 through 8, that parable of the, the vine and the vine dresser and the branches on the vine. Unless we're connected to the vine, we have no life. And everything that we're talking about here helps us stay connected to the vine, so that we have life, so that we breathe, so that we're healthy and alive spiritually. 
Now, this idea of marks of healthy churches is not original with me. John MacArthur has his list. In fact, if you've read it, he doesn't have 10, which we're talking about. He actually has 12. And John Deaver has a list. And the Evangelical Free Church of America, the denomination that I was a part of for so very many years, they have their list. They call them 10 indicators of, uh, leading indicators of healthy churches. Now, none of these lists are inspired. John MacArthur's list isn't inspired. God didn't just hand him a scroll out of heaven and say, here's my list. John Deaver's list isn't inspired. The, the, the evangelical free church's list of 10 healthy indicators isn't inspired. You're getting my best take on the list during this series. It's not inspired. They're all man's best effort at doing Bible study and coming up with the things that we need to be spiritually healthy. The Bible is what is inspired, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning as we get now into this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to skip over some of this stuff in my notes as I do every Sunday morning. And if you're in a small group, you'll have an opportunity to go deeper, and there's some questions of you, for you later uh, tonight. But would you bow your head with me one more time now as we prepare to look into the Word of God? Lord, now as we come to this story which uh, Bob read for us from your word, and I love what he said about compassion. It's your heart, Lord. The pain of others should be in our heart. And Jesus had compassion, and it was part of his vision. He had a very clear calling You brought him to this planet to die for our sin. And he had a compelling vision which carried him to that cross. He carried out your purpose, the sovereign purpose of God, by going to the cross and dying on that cross for every one of us in this room today. Lord, uh, your love compelled him. Your love controlled him. He didn't have to do it. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God. He voluntarily laid down His life and died on a cross for our sin so that we could be saved, so that we could have a personal relationship with You. And He had compassion. He had a heart for people. And so now, Lord, this morning, as we look into Your Word, I pray that you'd help us to see what Jesus saw, to feel what Jesus felt, to have the vision of Jesus, a clear, compelling vision of what it is you want us to be and to do. And I ask this now in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen. You know, several years ago, our church was going through a, what we called a revisioning process And we came up with uh, what's now coming up on the screen for you, uh, a vision statement that uh, our staff prayed over and our elder board pondered for for quite some time. And uh, then we embraced it. And you can read it for yourself. We're devoted to being a transformed community of passionate Christ followers. 
That's what we said we wanted to be. We didn't want to be just a a go-to-church on Sunday mornings church. We wanted to be a group of people that was being transformed, changed by the grace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we didn't want to just be Sunday go-to-meeting people. We wanted to be passionate about our faith. We wanted to follow our Lord Jesus Christ with all that we had. We wanted to be on mission together, serving Him. We wanted to be striving to bring glory to God and reaching up and surrender, reaching in, touching each other's lives with love, and then reaching out to serve a broken world. And so that was our, our vision statement. Now, that's not going to be this church's vision statement. That was that church's vision statement. That was what our leaders embraced, and we prayed that our people would own. And you know what? A vision statement is not any better than the piece of paper it's written on, unless it is owned by the people that wrote it or the people that are committing to it. If you don't do that, then it's just nothing more than a piece of paper to walk on or throw away or put in the wastebasket or whatever you do with paper. Because it's got to be in here. It's got to be in here. We've got to own it. We've got to be committed to it. And we've got to be committed to the vision of Jesus. And Jesus, he could have given up, but he went to the cross and he died for us because he had a vision. And his vision was God's purpose. And you know what God's purpose is? Turn to Revelation chapter 7 for just a moment. I want you to see this. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. This is God's purpose. This is where all of history is headed. The book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9. And here John says that after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. You know what? We can count the number of people in this sanctuary this morning. We can find out exactly how many people are here. But at the end of time, at the end of human history, when we step into eternity, there's going to be a multitude of people that you won't even be able to count how many are there from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages. And we're going to be standing before the throne of God, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And I think we're going to be singing Hosanna. And we're going to be singing to the God of the angel armies and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Thank you for saving me, Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might. We're not going to be able to come up with enough words. And might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is God's vision. This is God's purpose. This is where God is taking all of history. 
And that's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross so that everybody that God wants there on that day will be there around that throne worshiping him. And so now we come to Matthew 9. How does that fit with all of this? Well, here's Jesus Christ on this planet, and he's going to be dying on a cross, and he's going to build his church, and all the gates of hell can't prevail against it. We're a part of this plan that God has for all eternity. And now we're going to get a picture of his heart for people, the people that he came to die for. And there are seven thoughts in this passage of Scripture Seven components or parts to Jesus' ministry or vision that I want you to see this morning. Because regardless of how you write out the words, and regardless of how the statement reads, I think these have to be woven into our heart if we're going to have the vision of Jesus. And the first thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is where Jesus went. Look what the Bible tells us here in verse 35. It says very clearly here in Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. Notice that Jesus Christ wasn't seated in a temple waiting for people to come to him. Jesus Christ went to the people. He was in the business of touching people on their turf, going into their cities. He traveled all around all of the cities and villages in Galilee. That's what this passage of Scripture is telling us. And this is a unique setting, a unique passage. In fact, these words, these, these four verses are unique to the Gospel of Matthew. And if you got the Bible study this note, notes this morning on page two this morning, I've given you another other, number of other passages that you can cross-reference to where we see similar thoughts. But these four verses in this form are kind of like an interlude in this Gospel and an introduction to what he's going to tell us in the rest of the book. And he tells us here very clearly that in this description of, of, of Jesus' ministry, and this is really a repeat of what he tells us in chapter 4, Jesus was in the business of going to where people were, not waiting for them to come to him. Several years ago, when I was a younger pastor in Kansas City, Missouri, and I've got a picture of a book coming up on, a, on the screen now for you, I picked up this book called Target Group Evangelism, Reaching People Where They Are. And it was a book written by a Baptist pastor by the name of Ralph Neighbor, who founded a ministry called Touch Ministries. And it was all about how churches could strategize and touch people at their point of need, where they were at, so they would experience the love of Christ, and they would hear the gospel of Christ as it was communicated to them. He was a very creative Baptist pastor in Houston, Texas at that time. Well, I think that's a picture of what Jesus is doing here. He went out and touched people where they were, and I think of the gospel of John 
and that cripple at the pool of Bethesda. He touched him, and he healed him. Or the blind man in John 9, he touched him, and he healed him. He was in the business of touching people where they were at. I love the words of the the old evangelist, and it's actually printed wrong in your notes this morning if you're looking at the bottom of page 2. His name was actually B.W. Gorham, and he lived back in the 1850s. And years ago, I was at the Billy Graham Center in Wheaton, Illinois, and I was going through the Graham Center. And if you've never been there, I would encourage you to make a visit when you're in Chicago the next time you're there. I was going through the hallways of the Graham Center. I was there for an evangelistic seminar. And my eyes happened to catch one of the the plaques that was hanging hanging in the hallway, and it was these words from from B.W. Gorham. He said, men have curiosity, and thousands of them will not hear the gospel in the church, but they will hear it in the groves. Someone told me this last week that that Albany is the number one post-Christian city in America. And that just shocked me. And I asked him, is that true? Albany is the number one post-modern or post-Christian city in America? And somebody had done a study, and according to this individual, I can't remember for sure who it was that told me this, but I'm assuming it's true, Albany is the number one post-Christian city in America. Now, you know what it means to be post-Christian? That means that you have moved beyond Christianity. Christianity no longer has a place in your life. That means that we're living in a secular world today, a secular society, and most people aren't even giving God a thought this morning. Not only are they not in church, but 70 or 80% of people in Albany and the surrounding area aren't even thinking about church. We don't live in a world today like most of us grew up in. I grew up in a world where people went to church and people thought about God and people memorized the 23rd Psalm and people memorized the, 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 the Lord's Prayer. But, but we're living, we're surrounded by secular people now today. And that means that we've got to be, that means the mission field has come to us. The mission field has come to us. And if we're going to reach people for Christ, we have to think missionally as Christians in America today. This is a mission field, and that means we have to go to people instead of waiting for them to come to us. It used to be you could build it and they would come. And we built a Beautiful addition on our church facility in Nebraska. And people were curious, and they came, but that was years ago. People drive by that building today, and and they don't even notice it because most people aren't thinking about God. And Jesus went to them, and he preached to them the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the second thing that I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus taught in their synagogues. And the second component of a church that has a vision like Jesus' vision is is that we not only go where Jesus went, but we teach what Jesus taught. Now, this this Bible verse tells us very clearly where he taught. 
It says that he went into all their, their, their cities and villages, and he taught in their synagogues. Now, if you're in a small group tonight, and I'd encourage you, if you're not in a small group Bible study, there's still time to get in one and to chew on these verses and talk about them. Here's a Bible study question for you. Why did Jesus teach in their synagogues? Why would he choose the synagogues to teach in? That's a great Bible study question. Why do you think Jesus did that? Why would he go into the synagogue to teach? Well, we know where he taught. He taught in the synagogues. But now here's another question. What did Jesus teach? And if you've got your notes in front of you, you've picked them up this morning, I've given you a number of Bible verses here on page three of your notes. We're not going to have time to look them up, but it makes for great Bible study. And I'd encourage you to dive into the Word of God and study this for yourself. And I looked up these verses as I was preparing for this message, and I concluded that there were four things that Jesus taught. Number one, he taught from the Old Testament. If you look at Luke chapter 4, one of the first cross-references I give you here in your notes this morning, you'll see very clearly that Jesus opened up a scroll when he was in the local synagogue, and he very clearly taught from the book of Isaiah. So we know that Jesus taught from the Old Testament. And that's only logical because he didn't have the New Testament then. And we also know, if you study these verses, that Jesus taught the truth because he taught what God told him to teach. And this book is truth. And you know what? Even though most people aren't in church this morning, we are living in a world filled with people that are dying, just dying for some truth. They want to know what truth is. They're yearning for some absolutes. We live in this this tolerant, anything goes, believe what you want society. But you know what? Underneath that, there's a spiritual vacuum in every heart that is dying for truth. And we've got the truth. We have this book. Jesus taught from the Old Testament, and he taught the truth. And we also, if you look at these verses in the New Testament, we know that Jesus taught with authority. He didn't just teach man's opinions, extrapolations, minutia. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were into. They had drifted from the book. They were adding things to it. And so I think we need to be very careful that we teach the book, the Bible, and that we don't add to it. And then we know that he taught about himself because you know what? And Henrietta Mears helped me understand this years ago. How many of you have ever read the book, What's the Bible All About? It's a great little book. In that little book, it gives you a theme for every book in the Bible, but ultimately every book in the Bible points us to Christ the Messiah. And so we know that Jesus taught about himself. And so that tells me that if we're teaching what Jesus teaches as a church, and if we want to have the vision of Jesus Christ, we're going to teach the whole counsel of God, not just our, our favorite hobby horses and our favorite topics and favorite subjects. And we're going to teach the truth. We're going to stick to the book, and we're going to center on Christ. And we will 
teach with authority because the authority isn't with a person. It's not with the pastor. It's not with, with opinions, but it's, it's here with a book. We'll teach the whole counsel of God, and that becomes the authority. And remember, people are, were amazed at his teaching because it says he taught them as one with authority. And so we want to teach what Jesus teaches. Now, I know I'm in a Baptist church this morning. I'm getting used to it, okay? I kind of like Baptist. My, my, my father-in-law is a Presbyterian. He said, you know, I wish that I was a Baptist because Baptists are winners, and I always wanted to be a winner. <laughs> but in the denomination that I was a part of for many years, they had a little saying, and it was one of the heartbeats of the Evangelical Free Church movement. And it incubated with those Norwegian, Danish pioneers which moved here to America. And they were always asked the question, where stands it written? Where stands it written? And so whenever you hear me say something from this pulpit, or whenever you're doing Bible study, that's always a great question to ask. Where stands it written? Is it the Word of God? Or is it just a cultural value, or, or is it just my opinion, or is it really in the book? Where stands it written? We want to be people of the book. And then notice this third little phrase here in this verse of Scripture. A church that has Christ's vision and Christ's heart preaches what Jesus preaches. We go where Jesus went, we teach what Jesus taught, and we preach what Jesus preached. Now, what... what What does this mean? What did Jesus preach? Well, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. If if you read the gospels, that phrase is repeated over and over again. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. That's where all of this is headed. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so that was central to his message, and that should be the center of our church. We, we should be centered on that. And this word proclaiming can, can, be, can mean preach. It's used 61 times in the New Testament. But, you know, you can preach this gospel without being a preacher. When I was a student at Texas A&M University back in the dinosaur age... <laughs> That's just a way of saying a lot of years ago. When I was a student back at Texas A&M University, I attended a Baptist church in Bryan, Texas. And I'll never forget our pastor, Pastor Bailey Stone. And Bailey Stone was one of those fire and brimstone preachers. And he would get up on Sunday mornings, and one of the first things he'd do is he'd always pull a handkerchief out of his pocket because he was going to need one. And he'd start out slow. Have you ever been in a Baptist church like this? And uh, this is the way Pastor Don preached, right? <laughs> Come on, that's so sweet. <laughs> Pastor Don loves people, but I, I don't picture him as a Helen Burnstone kind of preacher. But Pastor Bailey Stone, he'd get started really slow. And then he'd get worked up, 
and he'd get worked up. And by the end of the sermon, he was just screaming. And I mean, perspiration was coming off of his forehead and he'd pull out that white hanky and he'd, he'd have to wipe his forehead because he was just perspiring. Well, you don't have to preach like Bailey Stone to preach the gospel. But you do have to be bold and you have to be courageous. This word, word for proclaiming means to herald. And Jesus was heralding the gospel. And you know what that word herald or proclaim means? It means, it's, it, it describes a town crier or somebody who's a public crier who's out spreading the good news. And that requires, requires courage and that requires boldness. It never ceases to amaze me how we can fly our flag for our favorite football team. And why is it that on Saturday afternoons we fill stadiums here in America and people are screaming and they're shouting for their football team? And we're not embarrassed about it. And we wear all of these colors. We wear our T-shirts and we wear our sweatshirts and we wear our hats to identify with our favorite football team. But then when it comes to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's like we're, we're mumbling with marbles in our mouth when somebody, when somebody asks us about it. Why is that? I mean, this is the best news. This is the greatest news. This is the only news that can save a person and get them into heaven. And so if we're we're a church with Jesus' vision, we're going to preach what he preaches. And you don't have to be a preacher to preach it. God wants to use all of his people in this way. And then notice this little phrase, healing every disease and every affliction. Do you see that in verse 35? He went into all of their cities. We need to go where he went. We need to teach what he taught. We need to preach what he preached. And then notice, we need to do what Jesus did if we're a church that has the heart of Jesus Christ. And this says that Jesus preached the gospel or proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus had a heart for hurting people, and he had a healing ministry. And he was a healer. He healed lots of diseases. Now, we're not Jesus Christ. We can't heal people like the Lord Jesus did. And we're not going to heal everybody and have the ability to heal everybody like Jesus healed them. And my point this morning is not to get into a conversation about, about and a complete theology about, about healing. I think God does heal people. Please be certain that it is God that heals them, not a person. And God can heal whoever he wants to. But we're not the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think the Lord Jesus still calls us to step into people's lives and to have a heart for hurting people that results in a healing ministry for them. This last week, I was invited to go with Pastor Don and Ruth to the city, a capital city rescue mission banquet, and I was just blown away. Met Perry Jones for the first time. Hope that I get to have lunch with him before I I leave the hill towns. 
And I was just amazed that night to listen to the testimonies of the changed lives. We listened to the testimony of one young lady who was just lost, lost. Chronic alcoholism, broken background. And, and through the ministry of the rescue mission, she has come to our Lord Jesus Christ. We listened to another testimony. We listened to videos. We listened to what God was doing in and through this mission. That's the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be our heart as a church. We should be doing what Jesus did. And Jesus had a heart for hurting people. And he had a healing ministry. Now, what does that mean for the First Baptist Church of Westerlo? I don't know for sure. But what I do know is that this is an opportunity during this transitional season to just hit the pause button as a church and begin to ask God, Lord, what's your purpose for us? What is it that you want us to be and do? Every church cannot do everything. This church can't do everything, but we can do something. And so what is it that God wants us to do? What is it that Jesus wants us to be? Back in Nebraska, one of the things when we were asking this question, one of the things that God birthed through, through our church was what we call Celebrate Recovery. Now, there are a lot of churches doing that throughout America. Maybe you've never heard of Celebrate Recovery. And this church has done a number of wonderful things over the years. We've had great outreach ministries. But, but maybe God's wanting to do some new things through this church family, some things that he's never done before. Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step Christian-based program for alcoholics, people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol or have other hurts, habits, and hang-ups, as they would say. And, we, and it's a way to see people come to Christ and experience the love of Christ. Could it be something like an expansion of our walking widow's ministry or... or uh, taking grief share not only to people within our church, but what Louise is doing to non-Christian people in our community. Could it be a ministry to unwed mothers? The sky's the limit when you start talking about doing what Jesus did. We can't do everything, but we can do something. What is it that the Lord wants us to do as we cultivate his vision and discover his purpose? We're becoming the church that he wants us to be, reaching people for Christ in this area. And then a church that has Jesus' vision sees what Jesus saw. Notice he saw the crowds. And we're not going to spend a long time on this because we talked about this several weeks ago. But, but please notice he saw the crowds. Underline that phrase. If you're into underlining in your Bible, he saw the crowds. And let me just ask you, what do you see when you see people? Do you see people as the, the problem? Or do you see them as victims of the problem, which is sin? Sin is the problem. We're fallen creatures. 
We're a fallen human race in need of the salvation and grace of God, the shed blood of, 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 of our Lord Jesus on the cross. So do you see people as people or do you see them as a problem? Or, or do, you see, do you see people as the enemy? Or do you see people as victims of the enemy? The enemy is Satan. The enemy isn't that person in front of you. How many times do we, we react to people because we feel like they're the enemy or they're the problem? Well, they're just a person in need of, of God's salvation. They're victims of the problem and of the enemy. Jesus saw people. He saw the crowds. And that's why he could feel what he felt. Look, look at his heart now. And now we get back to that thought that, 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 that uh, was read in our Scripture this morning. The heart of Jesus. He had compassion toward them. And that's the next thought. A church that has the heart of Jesus feels what Jesus feels because he saw them as harassed and helpless, as sheep without a shepherd. And this, this phrase, harassed and helpless, these are interesting Greek words. And again, if you've got the notes, you, you've got the, those Greek terms there, and you can dive in. You can do some Bible study tonight with your small group and, and talk about this further. But he saw people as people that were just beaten down and burned out. One paraphrase of this could be they were bullied. They were bullied by the nation of Rome, and they were, they were, they were, they were hurting. Another image of this, this Greek term, harassed, is, they, they, there is that your skin is peeled back. You ever had your skin peeled off? Ever been lacerated on your body? Wow, that's painful. He saw people in pain. And he had compassion for them. And they were helpless. You know what helpless means? Helpless means you can't help yourself. You know what grace is? Grace is God doing for you what you can't do for yourself. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus Christ can save you. You can't help yourself. Only God can help you in his grace. They were helpless. And so his heart went out to them. In this situation, reminded of a story which I read many years ago. I can't remember the Russian's name, but but he was a, a um, he, he he had a, a immense butterfly connection, and he's out as I recall in in Utah, and he's hunting butterflies, and he's out trying to to find some some unique and rare to find butterflies to add to his collection. And, and he's, he's coming back to his cabin to join his family that day. I think his name was Nicholas. This is a true story as far as I know. He heard a man groaning in a ditch. And he heard the groaning, but he continued on. And he got back to the, the house, and his family said, well, and he told him the story, and he said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, I just kept going. I had to catch the butterfly. And they went out the next day, and they found a body in this gulch. 
And to this day, that area is is called Dead Man's Gulch because he passed on by. Just left the bed there groaning. Jesus didn't leave them groaning. He had a heart for harassed, hurting people. And a church that has Jesus' heart feels what Jesus felt. We have compassion. And then the last thought here this morning is a church that has Jesus' vision prays what Jesus prays. He concludes by saying, The harvest is plentiful, but labors are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. Now, isn't that interesting? Here's this, this sea of people, this harvest. And Jesus, the first thing he does is he says, pray. Pray that the Lord will send labors into the harvest. He calls us to prayer. And in the, the English Standard Version, which is in my notes this morning, it translates this phrase or this word, pray earnestly. When I was at Wednesday night prayer meeting this last week, we had three circles of people. And incidentally, I would invite you again to come and be a part of our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Join us to pray for our church family and to pray for this area. As we were praying, I was in the circle that was seated, and I looked over, and in the circle next to me, they were on their knees. And I think that's a picture of this Greek word, because this Greek word means to plead with God, to beg God. Send laborers out into your harvest. And that means sometimes we're not afraid or ashamed to get on our knees or even fall on our face and to plead with God. Pray that God will send laborers out into his harvest. Back in the 1850s, there was a man named William, and he had a wife by the name of Catherine. This is over 150 years ago. And he was struggling with what to do with his life. And as he was struggling, he went to his his wife and he just confessed he didn't know what God was calling him to do. And about that time, his wife, Catherine, was called to London. She was a skilled Bible teacher to teach and and, uh, use her gifts for the Lord. And, And while they were there, this man by the name of William took a walk late one night. And he walked through the slums of London's East End. And every fifth building, as he was walking that night, and he counted them, was a pub, was a bar. And most had steps at the counter so that little children could climb up and order gin. There were street children that were becoming alcoholics. And he seemed to hear a voice Crying in his ears, he went to his wife later and said, Where can you go and find such people as these? And where is there so so great a need for your labors? And so this wife, by the name of Catherine, her husband by the name of William, opened up a ministry there in London, which went on to become what we now know as the Salvation Army. It started with two people. Maybe this morning God's giving somebody else a vision. 
vision begins ultimately with our vision, our picture of God. And so our choir is going to come now as I'm praying, and they're going to sing, Be Thou My Vision. And I want you to listen to these words because we will never do anything. I'll never really be what God wants me to be. And now I'm speaking for myself, okay? I'm going to step into the circle now. I'm talking about Randy. I can't ever be what God wants me to be or become what God wants me to become unless I, first of all, get a vision for God, a vision for who God is. And then when we get a vision for who God is, if He's really the air we breathe, if He's really the air we breathe, and if we can't live without Him, if He's our vision, then we'll have the heart for Jesus. Lord, help us to have a heart for, like Jesus had. Go where He went. Teach what He taught. Preach what He preached. Do what He did. See what He saw and felt what He felt. And Lord, help us to pray what He prayed. Help us to listen to these words now. And after they're finished, I'm going to ask Michael, Mike to come and just lead us in the first and last stanza. We're going to sing this together after we listen to the choir singing.